0: Welcome to the AWS Edge Chat Podcast. I'm a specialized solution architect with a passion around edge. In each episode, I'll dive into the world of edge, talk about interesting developments, what you need to know, and what it means to our customers. Hello, my name is Shane Baldacchino, and this is episode one of the AWS Edge Chat Podcast. It's a bit of a pilot, a bit of a test, with the goal of enabling customers, the field, or anyone who has an interest in edge computing at AWS. In each 15-minute episode, I will review product feature announcements that pertain to our edge services, dissect them, and provide you my take on what it means for our customers, expert tips and the patterns, rough edges, and how they can be mitigated, and leave you with some expert ninja tips in the world of edge. Obviously, a pilot episode, so I welcome feedback. What works, what doesn't? What would you want to hear more of? What would you want to hear less of? Balshane at amazon.com. So today in this pilot episode of AWS Edge Chat, I'm going to run through a raft of updates that have occurred in the last month, that being September of 2020. So buckle up and let's get started with a few CloudFront updates. CloudFront, one of those services like FineWine, is maturing over time and these announcements today continue to round out its feature set. A great announcement to start the show, CloudFront now supports real-time log delivery of CloudFront access logs. Previously, delivery of access logs from CloudFront to an S3 bucket would typically take you know, a matter of minutes, maybe up to 10, which is fine for most use cases, but this feature update results in shorter feedback loops. So what does this mean for customers? Let me explain. Shorter feedback loops, you know, perhaps you have customers who wish to drive their end user experience based on access logs. You know, maybe the ability to detect errors quickly and act upon them. You may wanna feed real time alerts for HTTP status codes. Perhaps if you start seeing a flood of 5xx HTTP status codes, you can take action. Plenty of possibilities here. This is a lever and additional feature that rounds out CloudFront's capabilities. So how do you enable this? The CloudFront console now has a separate logs page to manage your log configurations from a central page. From a logs page, you can create real-time log configurations and apply them to any cache behavior within your CloudFront distributions. On the cost front, this feature uses Kinesis data streams, and you can also deliver these to a generic HTTP endpoint using Kinesis data firehose. So standard Kinesis rates will apply here. Real-time logs are charged based on the number of log lines that are generated. You pay one cent for every one million log lines that CloudFront publishes to your log destination. So you know, used appropriately, this can be very cost-effective and drive some great business value. So to summarize here, a great addition to CloudFront, use it appropriately from adding rigor and robustness to your DevSecOps process to driving user behavior. It's an update you and your customers should be aware of. Let's stick with CloudFront here and talk about TLS 1.3. Faster, safer, and just awesome. I quickly wanna talk about three things you should be aware of, performance, compatibility, and security. Let's start with performance for a browser and web server to agree on a key they need to exchange cryptographic data, so the handshake, and this has remained largely unchanged since TLS was standardized in 1999. Prior to TLS 1.3, this required two round trips. Now, the additional cost of a TLS handshake for HTTPS results in a noticeable hit to latency compared to HTTP requests alone. So if I wheel in my virtual whiteboard here, you're gonna have to use your imagination listeners. This is a low budget show. Imagine I've got an environment where each one-way trip is, let's say 50 milliseconds. I'm gonna be saving 100 milliseconds by using TLS 1.3 as I'm going to be requiring one less round trip to set up the secure channel. You know, it could be more. I'm in Australia. It's 220 milliseconds round trip to amazon.com. You know, from an end user's experience, this just translates into snappier performance. On the compatibility front, it'd be great to tell everyone here to use TLS 1.3. You know, get that performance gain I just spoke about. But the reality is, some customers may have browser support policies or SOE's standard operating environments based on browsers. I was going to make a joke about Internet Explorer, but hopefully, you get my point where I'm going here. In the fullness of time, there'll be support for TLS 1.3. But today, browsers from mid 2018. <laughs> Provide support. And given the performance gains I just spoke of, it warrants having this conversation at the very least with your customers. Understand their browser support policy. You know, very least, it's an opportunity to get to know more about their architecture and workloads. Fun fact, uh, you know, Facebook is recording more than 70% of their traffic is being served with TLS 1.3. So here, there you go. Lastly, let's quickly talk about security. In the last two decades, as a society, we've learned lots about how to write secure cryptographic protocols. Attacks like Poodle, Sloth, Google them if you're not familiar, and so on have showed that even TLS 1.2 contains antiquated ideas from the early days of cryptographic design. You know, this harks back to the 70s. Now, where TLS 1.3 differs from previous versions is it has dropped support for RSA or the Rivest Shamir Adelman method. Now, I'm not gonna get into the details here. You can uh, you know, pop them into your favorite search engine, but both modes result in client and server having a shared secret, but RSA has a serious downside. It doesn't support forward secrecy, which means if someone records the encrypted conversation and then obtains the RSA private key of a server, they can decrypt the conversation. Now this applies even if the conversation was recorded and the key is obtained sometime well into the future. So to reduce the risk, caused by non-forward secret connections and a million message attacks, RSA encryption has been removed from TLS 1.3, leaving ephemeral Diffie-Hellman as the only key exchange mechanism. Now, I've only touched on a few of these changes regarding security, performance, and compatibility. If you are interested in TLS, and I hope you are, take a look at the RFC as it really is an interesting read. And that is RFC 8446. So TLS 1.3 and CloudFront. So it's available today, enabled by default across all CloudFront security policy options. If you are using a custom SSL certificate, you select a minimum supported security policy. So all security policies allow clients to negotiate up to TLS 1.3, but there are no security policies that mandate only TLS 1.3. The closest customers can get to that security policy is TLS v1.2 underscore 2019, which allows only TLS 1.2 and TLS 1.3. So in summarizing, TLS 1.3 is a good step forward in terms of performance and security. Have that conversation with your customers and help drive a security posture forward. Rounding out the CloudFront updates, let's talk about Brotly support. Now we all know speed matters from an end user experience through to cost. From late September, CloudFront is now able to serve Brotly compressed content to end users. Level setting quite quickly. Brotly is a widely supported lossless compression algorithm that often provides a better compression ratio than gzip. Smaller file sizes improve application performance by delivering your content faster to viewers. I won't give away my age, but when I was a younger fella, geez, it was all the rage, but there was, you know, severe CPU penalties of the day. So modern CPUs have plenty of headroom and when content is compressed, downloads can be faster because files are smaller. You know, quite simple, less bits to transfer over the wire. Great for things like JavaScript, CSS, faster downloads will result in faster rendering of web pages for your users. So in addition, because of the cost of CloudFront data, you know, our data egress out, Serving compressed files can be less expensive than serving uncompressed files. And Brotli Edge Compression delivers up to 24% smaller file sizes as compared to GZIP. So, prior to this announcement, customers could enable Brotli compression at the origin by whitelisting the accept encoder header. Now, CloudFront includes BR in the normalized accepting coding headers before forwarding it to the origin. So you no longer need to whitelist the accepting coding header to enable Brotli origin compression, improving your overall cache hit ratio. Additionally, if your origin sends uncompressed content to CloudFront, content can now automatically compress cacheable responses at the edge using Brotli. You know, this is fantastic here. So Brotli is available for immediate use, no additional cost. So it's a great win for customers. However, CloudFront will only compress content using Brotly when the following are true. So when you configure the distribution to compress content, it's pretty obvious. And then when you enable the cache brotly object setting, which is a set enable accept encoding brotly to true. And when you enable the cache brotly object setting, which is a set enable accept encoding brotly to true. Uh, look, for more info on this, see the cache compressed object section in our documentation. So why does this matter? I've yet to meet a customer that doesn't want a faster performing website. So that's a bit of a no brainer. But there is a fiscal advantage to using Brotly. Many advertising platforms such as Google AdWords rely on a Google quality score, which influences the cost of AdWords. The better the score, the cheaper it is to bid on AdWords. And one of the dimensions Google uses is site speed. So by using Brotly compression, less bits to send over the wire, thus increasing the overall site performance and you know, reducing the cost to bid on, you know, AdWords in this case. So a win-win here. Pivoting to Firewall Manager, which is a relatively new service. So let's perhaps start with a marketing level set. You know, Firewall Manager is a security management service which allows customers to centrally configure and manage firewall rules across their accounts and applications in an AWS organization. So the announcement this month is, it now supports security groups on ALBs and classic load balancers allowing customers to centrally configure and order security groups associated with these resource types across multiple accounts in your organization. You know, a well needed update here, dare I say, for single pane viewing across the organization and greatly improves the value proposition to allow central management of security groups across ALBs and CLBs. So you may ask, what about NLBs or network load balancers? So just remember folks, if you are using a network load balancer, Update the security groups for your target instances. And that's because network load balances do not have associated security groups. And to wrap up quickly, let's talk about service expansion. AWS WAF and AWS Shield Advanced are now available in two new regions, Cape Town in Africa and Milan in Europe. Pretty self-explanatory. Route 53 Resolver now supports VPC query logging in AWS GovCloud US regions. So that's the Route 53 Resolver which lives on the .2 address. Pop quiz for those planning to take the SA professional exam. How many IPs does Amazon reserve per subnet? I think I remember that was a question that I got asked. I'm not going to tell you the answer here. So look, that's a wrap. I hope you found this useful and fun. I know I had fun putting this together and thanks for listening. Listeners, keep me honest. Feedback is always welcome and it will help drive the direction of this show. B-A-L-Shane at Amazon.com. And just like Batman, join myself again in our next episode in which we will discuss our next round of Edge updates. But until next time, bye for now.